Who is a leader? Is it you or is it me? What is a leader? Folks who believe you, leave what you say, pay you to speak. They think you're perfect. They want your life. Whenever they see you, they see you as strong. Real leaders, people run to you. They think you got answers. They want you to fix what is wrong. What is a leader? You're put on pedestals. People are helping you because you exposed. Hate on you because you got lots of attention. Having one partner, but they want your... Some so down on themselves, they're taking bad treatment like to themselves on the low. Get mad at you because they're playing themselves, looking for savior. This world is so cold. Hello and welcome to EcoCast, the official podcast of the Association for the Study of Literature and Environment. I'm Gemma Deer. And I am Brandon Golm. Today's guest is Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. Thomas has an undergraduate degree in forest science from Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University a master's degree in forest genetics from Iowa State University, and a doctorate in adult education from North Carolina State University. He is now the Assistant Dean of Community and Inclusion in the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies at Yale University. Thomas is also a musician recording under the name Richard Ease. He brings the separate strands of his experience together in what he calls hip-hop forestry. So welcome, Thomas, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. And nice to meet you as well, uh, you, 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 Brandon. And not you need to correct, but just to let you know that it's now the Yale School of the Environment. They just officially changed their name 17 ah. days ago. <laughs> okay. Just changed the name. Yeah, just so it's official. So you're fine, you know, just... No, yeah. but that's good to know. Okay. Yeah. The Yale School of, of the Environment mm-hmm. or just yes. the Environment? Of the, the Environment. environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Super excited. I appreciate it. Inspired by Thomas's work, today's root word is a particularly rooty one. Um, it is the word forest, which we use to refer to a large area of land that is covered with trees, as well as a multitude of other species of plants, animals and fungi. A little digging unearths a strange root that speaks of the history of land use and division. The word comes from the medieval Latin forest, meaning outside or out of doors. It's the same root as the word foreign. And that's because the word forest originally referred to the wood that was outside or beyond the walls or fences of a park or property, but that was a tract of land owned by a sovereign and used for hunting. As Robert McFarlane notes in his book Landmarks, the word forest is tangled up in political histories of access and land ownership. Now, forests may no longer be the hunting ground of kings and nobles, but problems of access and exclusion still shape experiences and representations of outdoor spaces, something which Thomas tries to redress in his work to make the foreignness of the forest more familiar and inclusive. So perhaps you can start, Thomas, by telling us what exactly hip-hop forestry is and why does it matter? Uh, Well, hip-hop forestry is more of a philosophy uh, than anything. I mean, it is a song, but it's a song that came from a philosophy. Um, But I'll explain what I mean um, about uh, about the philosophy. So what I do is, so I I identify as African-American. Okay, you know, I grew up, you know, in Birmingham, Alabama, but I also identify as indigenous as well. So 
you know, when I went off to school and I learned about forestry, it's mostly traditional forestry. But when I look back at my cultural understanding, I wouldn't just say that the forest is a forest. Matter of fact, I wouldn't even call it that. I mean, we would say, let's go outside, you know, but the land would have a different name, you know, just like what we understand as the United States would be considered Turtle Island, you know, depending on who, you know, like which culture that, that, that you're talking about, which is where I am right now. And so, um, Hip hop forestry for me, one is that it it pulls out cultures or paradigms that have been marginalized. Hip hop forestry, uh, so which so that's one of the reasons why I, I call it hip hop and forestry. Hip hop founded by black and brown people in New York, combining it with forestry, what we understand combined uh, uh, that was founded by mostly uh, individuals from Germany, you know, and then come over to the U.S. and then it's adopted. Um, hip hop is an expression; it's free. Um, you know, forestry, the way people have in some ways owned and then dominated land, they treated it like it's free, but it's really not. And so what it is, is it's a philosophy of what you didn't create, you can't own. You have to respect everything that you touch. Everything that doesn't and that does look like you has value is worthy of being protected. So it's not just about the outdoors. It's about, I mean, it's not just about trees. It's about water. It's about air. It's about religion. It's about people. Mm. It's about soil. It's about the animals, you know, it's about insects. So it's about all of those things that are out there, you know, so we have to respect it or we should respect it first before we use it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your story? How'd you get into forestry? Uh, what do you love about it? What, you know, what has you most excited about the work that you do? Mm, I think that my, my, my story of how I got involved in forestry and what makes me most excited about what I do. I think that my story of how I got into forestry, in some ways it's a common story. It's just common depending on who you're talking to. I, I didn't study forestry because I wanted to or because, ooh, I was looking forward to it. I had never heard of forestry by the time I got to college. Like, for real, I had never heard of it. And I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I mean, I'm Boy Scout who went to the top as far as in the Boy Scouts of America. And I had not heard that term before, or at least I can't I couldn't I can't recall it now at the time. And I couldn't recall it then. So the reason that I got into it, as Jim read, you know, I went to Alabama A&M University and I uh, got into a summer program that was funded by the USDA. And uh, I did. Uh, I've always been a pretty smart person. I did pretty good. Uh, did a pretty good research project, and only a few of us got this scholarship, you know, for doing uh, or, or completing a program. And I got the scholarship from the U.S. Forest Service, and that is how I got involved in forestry. <laughs> but what what held onto my interest, or what prompted my interest, uh, was um, the research that I did that summer. I worked with Dr. Rafina Ward. Uh, she um, has retired from Alabama and the University. She was my mentor. And I was working, uh, my project was in tissue culture, genetic engineering. And we're looking at how do we grow loblolly pines faster? That's what got me. So it, it wasn't even, oh, we can cut these trees down to make money that got my attention. It was, oh, we can change how these how fast these trees grow. You know, we can we can impact the rate of it. And then my interest then continued on into, oh, maybe we can grow forests of these types of trees so we don't have to harvest from my natural trees. You know, so that's how I got that is how I landed in forestry research program uh, and how I got to the research program is another story. You know, why I went after it, did the research, completed the program, got a scholarship, started. 
Okay. And when did you start bringing hip hop or hip hop culture into it? What, what, when did that kind of begin oh, happening? Fast forward. That's probably 20 years later. <laughs> 20 years <laughs> later. Uh, you know, um, I am in my 40s, so I don't think I look at, I guess, my age, but that was 20 years later. But the way that I did it is, is really like an amalgamation of different experiences in my life that hit, that helped me to come to it. So when I worked in Montana, hip hop is what one of the things that helped me keep my sanity. However, doing things in the outdoors also helped me to keep my sanity. You see, I grew up, even though in Alabama, I was a Boy Scout. I didn't go whitewater rafting as a boy. I didn't go white rock climbing. I didn't go skydiving as a boy, but as a man or as a, as an, as a young adult at the time, now I'm exploring all of these things. Okay, fast forward. I'm working at NC State, and um, I love hip-hop. Hip-hop saved my life. And when students start taking your class because they say they heard that you rap, that's a funny thing to hear. You know, <laughs> when you ask, oh, yeah, why'd you take this class? Oh, man, you know, we heard that you're the professor who rap. Excuse me? You took my class because I rap. Now, watch this. Some people can go... Well, my initial response, I'll admit, was like, come on, I need you to do more than that. But wait a minute. I love hip hop. Well, why would I say that? You know, which I didn't say that. But in my mind, I thought it, but I never said that. I went, OK, well, we're not going to talk about hip hop in this class. Uh, thanks for signing up. We're going to talk about this. <laughs> but if you pass my class and there was always an if, we can talk about hip hop. And so um, my, I, I'll close the story um, with this. My mentor at the time when I was getting my doctorate, he, he, he was an amazing, and he still is an amazing storyteller, professor, author, writer, everything. And he told me I should use what comes natural to me to connect with people. And so my job at NC State at the time was uh, head of diversity. And, you know, for some people, that only means recruitment, but that means I'll go out and talk to groups of people. And one time I went out, there was 300 young people in the room and I just started rhyming. And that room got quiet in less than 10 seconds. I'm like, really? And then everything I said from that point on, they were like, and I was like, oh, okay. It was just a verse. Jeez, just 16 bars. But that's when it hit me. Oh, this skill, this talent, people um, don't necessarily perceive people in academia to have it and to be really nice, even though a lot of rappers, and I do mean a lot, have graduated from college more than once. You know, So that's when I started to do it. I said, okay, if the perception is this is not using this intelligence setting, I'm going to change the narrative of that and use it. And then if no one is rapping about forestry and I feel like my people who adversely impacted by environmental just the environmental injustices, as the literature keeps saying, then we need to know about it. So that was that. So then that's the other thing that pushed me. I want to be able to communicate with my folks about something that's so important since it seems other people don't know how to do it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's clearly like, a you know, a really effective way of um, communicating. But why do you think it's it's actually quite rare like you know you don't we don't often hear hip-hop addressing these kind of environmental questions like do you do you think there's a reason for that yes yeah well one hip-hop is you know founded in the 70s you know i don't want to say hip-hop is only this but you know hip-hop in a way is a rebellious you know um art form in the sense of you know you push against culture or you push against any force or system that holds people down. And if you go back to the original 
or the first, you know, hip hop, you know, like artists, you know, even from the seventies going into into the eighties, there was always a message involved. Okay, so to be involved in hip hop for some people, you probably at the time didn't go to college. You probably didn't um, you know, go into those arenas. And then if you go from the eighties, nineties or to the early two thousands, hip hop becomes a really positive thing for people as far as making money and people getting rich, but it's still not always respected in certain environments. Certain environments could be academia because of the way that we communicate, because of the way that we talk, what's valuable, refereed journals, publishing research, you know, like empirical research, that's what's valuable. So one could say, well, in hip hop, you don't do empirical research. But if you listen to the groups that I grew up listening to, which was Wu-Tang Clan, Outkast, Goody Mob, Dungeon Family and all, Tribe Called Quest, Native Tongue, Tupac, Queen Latifah, Moni Love. Everybody talked about things that were going on in our community, in our neighborhood. Ice Cube, N.W.A. And to me, that's research. The same way that as a scholar, I speak about how I've lived. That's what they did in hip hop. Mm -hmm. So. Hip hop is actually scholarly and the academy just needs to expand its definition of scholarship. But when you look at from Harvard all the way, you know, no disrespect, you know, because you got in the old school all the way up until 2020, you know, some things have over time become acceptable. Some things over time have become valued. And so I think that that's what it was, that there's been this chasm of the streets and the academy. There's this chasm between hip hop and maybe even scholarship. This, then there's also a chasm. And this is where it can become about race, gender, culture between what is actual communication. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what I try to do is just be the bridge and I try to do, I do it. I am, the, I am one of the bridges. I am a vessel that brings the two together so that people can communicate. And my message is if what you say is so important, is the message important or are you finding ways to communicate it also important? That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so just hearing you list off, you know, all those influences just, and, and, you know, artists that you've, you've, you know, grew up with and respected and, and all that. Can you, um, do you know of, you know, this might be kind of a tricky question off the top of your head. Um, any songs or artists that do kind of bring some environmental, um, perspectives or messages into their songs? Uh, well, one in particular I referenced in another article that I did, Most Deaf, now Yasin Bey, on his first mm-hmm. uh, solo album, Black on Both Sides, he had a song that was called uh, that's called New World Water. And he explained, I mean, this, his album, this album came out in 1999. Here we are 21 years later, and what he was saying is more relevant now than it was then, you know, about how we misuse and abuse water and how this would be the thing that people will fight over. You know, sure. and I like how he did a play of New World Order, like New World Order, you know, and thinking about secret societies and different organizations that have their hands on a lot of resources, you know, and can uh, cause other people's lives to change just by making a, a decision. So I think his album in particular is one that I really like to reference, you know, um, uh, because it was so long ago. I mean, I'm not old, but this is two decades ago. And he is still an artist now that's still making music with Talib Kweli. He was in a group called Black Star. And, uh, but, um, and that group, them, and that group has also been, uh, known for being very conscious, being very, some could say woke, but, you know, young people today probably have to catch up, you know, with what they've been saying. So I'll, I'll, I'll use them, you know, but, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. but then let me just reference an old song as far as using a term 
to catch your attention. And then when you look at the video, you saw all of the imagery, TLC waterfalls. So here they have a song called Waterfalls. You know, of course, most people love waterfalls, you know. But what was the song about? The song had nothing to do with water, but they used the but they used a word to get your attention. Waterfalls, water falling, tears falling, people crying, people in pain. So they just connected it, you know. And you can even say that that can be um, something environmental, you know, right, right there. But the song was about what goes on in the hood. Now, I'll just say this one last thing. But then the environment for me isn't just the definition that was rid of what the forest is. The environment is where I grew up. So then right there, I could say TLC, still that number one song 20 plus years later, was environmental as well. So three yeah. outstanding women put that together and worked with three men in Atlanta organized noise to make a song called waterfall yeah. mm-hmm. that's great yeah actually when when you had mentioned about um most deaf because that actually uh just reminded me uh, my work is um in post-katrina literature okay. so he has that uh, he had that other song um i can't remember the actual name but it's become kind of popularized as katrina clap um where he's really mm-hmm. speaking to the aftermath of that and mm-hmm. um he tells there's there's actually a really great spoken word kind of intro where he's just kind of narrating this story and then moves into the song mm-hmm. um so i think that's a great point right is that it, you know expanding our concept of environment and, and remembering that it's not just about the forest or not just about the natural world right thank you yeah. <laughs> and yeah just to kind of um continue on the theme i guess of uh breaking down these boundaries that that aren't really there or shouldn't really be there um rap hip-hop um and poetry actually have a lot in common so they both involve playing with language with rhythm and rhyme and communicating a message i mean rap is poetry it's just also much better to dance to um so um but uh yeah so can you like you you mentioned that 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 you talk about the most deaf song in in your chapter i think that's the the hip-hop sustainability chapter in the book a better a better planet um Mm -hmm. which people can can look up if they are interested. Um, But in that, you kind of, you talk a lot about the importance of language and framing and communication with regards to, to environmental issues. Can you just Mm -hmm. say a little bit more about that and, and, and how it relates to your work and why you think it's important? Yes. Well, um, you know, the way that we identify things uh, can be, the exact factor that pulls people into a discussion with you, or it could be the thing that runs people away from you. Um, And then also the way that you can represent something, if you represent it well, you can get the interest of people, right? Okay. So I'll do one more old reference and then I'll bring it back to the chapter. My favorite hip hop crew back in the day was hieroglyphics and it still is hieroglyphics. They're out of the Bay area, out of Oakland, California. Uh, Souls of Mischief had a song called Nine to Three Till Infinity. I never forget it because when I saw the video, I was like, "What is this?" And it was the second video, the first video. That's when you're lost was also filmed in the forest. And these guys are from Oakland, you know. And in my mind, I'm like, Oakland. I have family in Oakland. Oakland is for me at the time. It was the hood. It was kind of violent, you know. Like at least my reference. Oakland is a beautiful place, so it's not just that. But in my head, I'm like, wait a minute. These guys are from there. These guys are from a place that's kind of violent, like where I'm from. And they're rapping about f- fun things in the forest. And I forgot the National Park 
that they were in. So when I saw it, that's where I wanted to be. I was like, well, I want to, I want to go out there. Like, <laughs> four black men in the forest like this. This is cool. How come we don't see this, right? Okay, now fast forward. Back to uh, the whole messaging thing and what happened. Well, you know, uh, in the chapter, I've referenced uh, an engagement that took place at a school there in New Haven, Connecticut. And just picture this, 27 people in in the room. I would just always assume this. If I'm with 26 other people, we all, for the most part, probably want to stay alive. And if people don't want to stay alive, it's probably because something traumatic or something bad happened. And we want the pain to end. I just start right there. Like, I try to just emotionally get to a common place, you know. So then I also try to find common ways of talking to people, especially if I see we're probably from, as I grew up saying, different sides of the tracks. You know, which also has a racial, you know, understanding and racial history there, just to say, just to say that that term. And in this session, people were talking about, well, excuse me, some leaders were talking about air quality. It's very important. Air quality is very important. I mean, it's the thing that if uh, if you live in a place where you have poor air, uh, air quality, you can develop medical conditions like asthma and a host of other things, mm-hmm. too. Right. You know, and here we are in the pandemic now, you know, dealing with a number of issues. But a lot of people don't understand that because they probably have not been taught the that those those words. They may not understand the scientific processes that are going on in their homes. And here's the thing. For me, this is an existential issue. So I want people to understand. So I'm, it's more, see, what's more important for me is that people understand, not that I share the information. So I'll say it like that. What's more important to me is that they understand, not that I share the information. But I think for a lot of people, they think it's important that they share the information, not that people understand. It doesn't matter who shares it. It's, well, it, it matters who shares it, especially if you want to get people to adopt. But it doesn't matter who shares it if it's just a matter of people living, surviving, and thriving. And so that's why, you know, um, I did it that way. You know, that's why I try to communicate that way because I don't put the importance on me. I put the importance on them, you see. And I don't consider it robbery to change how I speak. I don't mean it like that. I just mean I know it's going to take more effort. It's going to take more time. It's going to take more energy. It's going to probably probably take more research. You know, I, mean, I speak a couple of languages, you know, but uh, before I could understand Spanish, I would. I remember as a deacon, I actually blessed someone's house. This is before I really took Spanish and learned it. Well, I was fine with embarrassing myself because I did it for a friend, but I took two Bibles, one one English, one Spanish, and I went and I did as best as I could, you know. And uh, my friend and her family were so thankful they even cried, you know, because they were like, man, that, that took a lot. And I was like, I, I'm sorry if I butcher, butchered your link. I'm not trying to butcher anything. I just want you to know that I care. And hopefully this will make what I'm saying more understandable instead of people struggling to listen to me. Well, at least I found out that I didn't screw it up, you know, like too bad. Hmm. But the same way I want to connect with people, language, same way you connect with the values. And that's what, and that's what I did. I uh, I was particularly struck. Actually, this is just jumping back a little bit when you were talking about that music video and and mm. um, just seeing them in the forest and stuff. And so I, I think one of the things that's that that is really interesting to me about this conversation is um, that there are unfortunately right. There's a lot of of um, unconscious biases or or perceptions that that people have about the spaces in which. Um, people of color are maybe welcome or are, um, you know, quote unquote, you know, normalized, right. That, that um, those aren't spaces that historically 
bodies of color were allowed to be in. And mm-hmm. so that video, right, is really kind of, of of challenging that and pushing against this notion. And the work that you're doing, I think, in a lot of ways is challenging and pushing against this notion that um, – you know, people of color don't belong in certain spaces. And, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really struck and, and um, loving, you know, this stuff that's kind of coming out of your work and, and this conversation. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I wonder if they knew that they were doing that when they did it. Souls of mischief. I know now I'm intentionally doing it. I, I mean, I, I hope that they did because I looked up to them, <laughs> but I wonder sure. if they, you know, if they, if, if, if they do it, sometimes I think people do things, you know, like you're doing it for one thing, but then, like I said, hip hop forestry for me was an idea. I had no idea people were going to like it. I promise you, I was just, I was like, man, people aren't going to care. That's why I'm just doing the song. That's kind of why I did it. I'm like, I'm just going to make this song. I'm going to do my best to make it nice. And I'm going to put the lyrics to it. And then after I put it out, and then people started coming to it, I was like, oh, I didn't realize what I had done. Okay, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, you know, sometimes that's where, where some of the best stuff comes out of is, you know, even if it's not in, in intentionally, you know, working that it's still opening people's eyes to that, that larger conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True, true. I'm wondering whether um, you, so, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners are going to be working kind of in, in uh, teaching and university roles, but probably not that many of them are going to be rappers. But how can they kind of apply the principles of what you're doing, of trying to kind of, you know, bring two things together or make it more inclusive? How, like, do you have any advice for, for someone to kind of, like, use a, a similar model for 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 communicating better and, and, and getting rid of some of the kind of entrenched exclusiveness that, um, that really makes up a lot of the university system? Yes, I definitely do. Uh, one, so that when you being the individual who's listening to this or who tries to apply what's being said, will do it with uh, tenacity, find something that you're passionate about, you know, I don't um, teach through basketball. I'm decent in basketball. I'm not great at it. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a great defender. You put that ball in my hand, you're not going to win. You know, I'm not going to win. You're going to win. So I don't teach via basketball. I teach through something that I'm good at and something that I enjoy. I also teach through something that I feel that that saved me. So uh, hip hop saved me. I respect it. I love it. So I not just do it. I am hip hop. So then I also suggest that people do or use something that you are really entrenched in. That like it's, it's something that you not only identify with, it's something that you respect and that you um, elevate, you know. Um, so it could be anything. It doesn't have to be hip hop. It could be country music. It could be drawing. It could be um, weaving. You know, it could be cheerleading. You know, it could, it could be a host of things because, you know, the challenging thing now about the society that we live in is that so many people have been more so socialized to do one thing and go after one career. And all I'm doing is just allowing my interest to be expressed and just using my voice. And fortunately, I also know how to make it relevant to my work and to my job. So, you know, that's what I encourage people to do. Mm. And it, it seems, I mean, that list of, of examples that you just gave of, of drawing or country music or weaving, it seems that, you know, they are all 
creative arts and mm-hmm. and you know maybe there's something about um the fact that we're not like university students are not very often encouraged to be creative in that way you know they're learning yes. a discipline and that's the discipline and that's how mm-hmm. you do it there's not a kind of oh how could we you know express this through through music or drawing so yeah maybe there's just something like inherently fertile of of kind of bringing that outlet for of creativity into learning yeah yeah i mean i i, I, mean, I think about people like jay-z you know he's a billionaire now you know you know i wonder what kind of a college student he would have been if he hadn't struggled in brooklyn new york you know if he had you know a family structure that was also supportive but then maybe even an opportunity that he saw that he could go after you know and he could be there and and now look at where he is now, you know, and whether imperfections or anything aside, this individual is a celebrity superstar that has also done a lot for himself, of course, with with other people. If we saw the value of where he was going to be probably when he first started, I wonder what kind of behavior he probably would have encountered if he tried to apply to a place like an Ivy League school or a private institution or even college, period, you know. So I think that um, our institutions, we also have an opportunity to open up how we understand things, because I find it fascinating that people like Common, who's a uh, who's who's another artist, you know, he's a millionaire, right? He dropped out of school. You know, so to me, I think that we also have to open our minds and realize that wealth and riches aren't necessarily uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are um, educationally. Uh, they have this large educational prowess, you know, but it also doesn't mean that people go and get education for that reason, you know. So it's just a lot of things that I think it's, it's, it's a number of layers of things that we could do in the academy to open us up and to make us more successful because we're already successful. You know, I mean, people know Harvard before they know Jay-Z. For real, I know. Trust. I talk to six-year-old kids and you can say name a college and they'll say Harvard and I'm like, name a rapper and they'll think. <laughs> You're like, you are six. How the hell did you do that? You know, how do you know that? So it tells you that there's something about intelligence, brilliance in the academy that is still a stronghold, you know, um, on on people. And we this is this is a good time. And I think that the pandemic hopefully is helping us realize that we can bring a lot of good things together and make lives easy, make things easier for people, maybe work smarter instead of harder. So, yeah. And I think it's a. a one of one you know one of my kind of hang ups with um you know some of my students and and their attitudes is that um for them it very much is about i'm here i'm going to do that work just to get the degree so i can get that job and make that money mm-hmm. um as opposed to right that very rich experience that a college classroom can offer mm-hmm. and so i think bringing in some of these creative alternative um you know kind of boundary pushing um approaches is a great way to uh, not not necessarily. I don't want to say trick our students, but in some ways, kind of trick them, right? Into into learning something um, a little bit deeper than than just the the very kind of core outcomes that they're supposed to be um, learning. Oh, can I? I want to add something else to to that, Brandon. You know, um, the traditional apprenticeship model of education, I think, is just it's kind of like do as I say. I teach mm-hmm. you, like I teach Jimma. Jimma does. You know, like what I say. However. Uh, some of my best professors have been able to not only teach me what they understand and like do as I say, they've been able to teach me how they think. And so that's what I try to do. The way that I walk people through 
my path and my understanding because I want you to see how I think because folks are always asking questions about what I think. I'm like, well, let me, well, I'll walk you through it. Just follow the path, you know, like just follow the pattern. And, um, and I, I do that on purpose so that uh, just as at times, um, I don't think I'm perfect at this, but I'm get, I continue to get better as I get older, checking myself in the midst of engagement, maintaining purpose, even when you feel nervous. You know, that's what this does. And so um, that's also why I teach the way that I do and try to connect. And hip hop helps me with that. Because when you listen to what a lyricist is saying or listen to how this person put put, put together that beat, you don't realize you're actually learning how they think. Because you're learning how they see the world. So it's like, oh, oh, okay, that's how Snoop felt. Oh, that's how that's how the baby feels now. Oh, that's how Rhapsody, that's how she got it. And so it's the same thing in the classroom. So even if a person is teaching a subject great or if he, she, or they says something ignorant about race, you're kind of telling me how you think. Mm. Totally, yeah. Okay, well, I'm getting mindful of the time, but I do want to ask you just one more question, Thomas. So you you did mention mm-hmm. a little bit earlier about, you know, kind of the ideas around air quality, which is what you, you talk about a little bit in the chapter, the hip hop mm-hmm. sustainability chapter. Um, and, you know, and then and then you mentioned how that's kind of becoming newly resonant or relevant in the current context of the of the pandemic, as we're seeing these kind of very unequal effects on different communities mm-hmm. um so i'm just wondering kind of what's what's your view like what lessons do we need to learn from the pandemic regarding questions of environmental and, and social justice well for me the number one thing is safety and i'm not so sure that uh people's safety is really being adhered to or even being um you know strongly considered across the board i'll say that across the board i I think that the pandemic, one of the things that the pandemic has shown us is if we don't sit down, take a break and truly assess things, you'll move prematurely and hurt yourself in the longer term. If you would have just kind of patiently waited and, you know, kind of just given it time. And I think that, and this is just my opinion, I think that there's a rush to get the economy back moving um, because there's some people who are being impacted by that. And then the people who probably would be safer, the ones who have to get back to work so that they can keep the economy moving, you see. And so there's a disproportionate um, uh, amount of exposure to the dangers that are uh, that are with the pandemic. But then there's a disproportionate amount of power in the hands of people who can make decisions that determine whether or not people go back outside or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and put and put and put themselves in danger. So I think the other thing that the pandemic is continuing to reveal to us and actually doing a pretty good job is how unequal our economy truly is and mm-hmm. how unequal. Um, now, I'm, now I'm going to say this, and I'm not trying to be insulting because it's going to sound insulting, but also how ignorant a lot of our leaders are and how they have been over time. You know, when you look mm-hmm. at how the decisions are being made, it's not being made from research; it's being made from emotion only. Let me say that because thinking from emotion is not bad. Thinking from history is not bad. Thinking from empirical research is not bad. But do I think thinking from them only by themselves are? I think it can be. And so, um, you know, and so I think that uh, the pandemic is also re 
revealing that. The other thing that a pandemic is doing is it's causing us to, since we're all inside or most of us are inside, it's messing. There are a lot of people who have been impacted. Uh, some people with mental health issues that they have worsened, you know, because they're inside. Some people who may become from abusive situations, that's worsened too, you know. But then, so then, so so those are just some negatives. And this is why we need to be mindful of of how we enter back into society. Then some of the positives are that now the other thing that is showing is that maybe what we should have been doing the whole time is slowing down, you know, mm-hmm. and respecting our bodies, respecting our families, respecting our energy, and da 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 da, respect our environment. Because in Italy, when dolphins come back, in North Carolina, where I am, when squirrels and chipmunks in the same space, more than nine species show up in the space we hadn't seen more than two in over 10 years then the coronavirus isn't just a sickness impacting lungs. It's a sickness of people who are impacting this planet. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that we should also use the pandemic to wake us up and remind us that our behaviors and our lifestyles aren't necessarily great for the environment. So uh, for those people who want to, who want, as Brandon was saying, go to school, you know, to get that job and, you know, go to school and make a lot of money. Well, what's the purpose of doing it? And what's the purpose of going and getting that job? Is it just to enhance your economy and live, you know, like in this beautiful way that hurts the environment? Then I question your motives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but yeah. And I, I think as well, I mean, when you were just talking about maybe it being a message for us to slow down, I feel like that's that's often a message I get from forests and from outdoor spaces. Like, you know, it can it can feel when you're in a city for a long time you get that kind of that into that rushing movement and and mm-hmm. sometimes it is it is just like taking a moment and it doesn't even have to be a forest does it but like just a little bit of natural space and that can can help you into that slowing down uh truth kind of vibe mm-hmm. all right well let's we'll, sh- we'll shift gears a little bit and and maybe uh, get a little bit into the the less depressing uh, <laughs> topics. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna move into uh, let's end on a roll. So I've got a twelve sided die here that I'm going to roll, okay. and we've got a list of of twelve random questions. So whatever one comes up, that's what we're gonna we're gonna end with your interview today. Okay. So we have all right um, number ten. What's one habit you're working on to try and be more eco friendly? What's one habit I'm working on to be more eco-friendly? I am content. Okay, well, actually, it's two. I'm working on recycling more and driving less. And so I walk more, which is actually how I lost 28 pounds. I didn't even know I needed to lose. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'm also doing is I'm eating less. And so um, that's also how I lost more more weight too. Um, I didn't become a vegetarian for this reason, but I'm now thankful that I am a vegetarian too. When I look at the way that I eat and just trying to get smarter about that, uh, not buying water, um, you know, even though some people's water is polluted, so they do need, you know, to have spring water. So you know, trying to use filters as well too. But I know you said one, I think that was four. <laughs> Sorry. It's, so I, if I, if I may, you know, the, mm. I think kind of the overarching with that is um, you're, you're becoming more aware of your consumption, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, how you're, you're 
what you're doing with the waste of that consumption or being more conscious about your, your, your what you are or aren't consuming. So mm-hmm. that's, it, it counts as one. You were just giving us a lot of details. That's oh, awesome. thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so, so much for, for joining us. Um, do you have anything else that you were maybe hoping to discuss that you didn't have a chance to share with our listeners? Um, no, I mean, I, you know, um, no, no, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I just, I know that with diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and access, and environmental stuff happening today, I've been engaged in a number of conversations. So I was looking forward to the interview, and um, yeah, but you know, but it's something that 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 I can say. It's something that I've done on a couple of interviews. You know, like that I've had is I've had conversations with people about let's talk systemically and how it's all connected. You know, mm. and that's just one of the things that I'll just like my last thing, I guess, before giving how people can find me or whatever, you know, is that everything is connected, you know, um, and that really is the truth. It is connected. But the other part of that truth is, is that we can't just well, we can we can just flip a lot of things over immediately, you know, but I think if we want to get there as a society with peace and if we want to get there together, we have to do it a little bit differently. So I applaud anyone who's out protesting and also applaud anyone who's trying to converse with people and learn more and teach themselves. And and just those who really want to work with other people, you know, thank you. But then those people who also understand I have to do a lot of my own internal work, I thank you too, because both have have to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good thoughts. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Thomas. This has been a wonderful um, conversation. How can um, people find out more about you and your work? Do you have social media, website or anything? Yes. Yes. So if you want to find out more about the music, uh, you can go to my website, RashadEasley.com. And there is a lot to share because it's not just me that makes music. I have a whole crew. Uh, and we do a lot around consciousness and diversity and all of that. So you can check out a crew of people. We call ourselves the Great Miles Alliance. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rashadiz. So exactly like by you know what I do musically, you can find me on Spotify as well and title and anywhere that you get music. Now, when it comes to my scholarship, you can find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Thomas R. Easley, Facebook, Thomas R. Easley. And um, um, and you can, I, I don't mean to say this to be braggadocious. You can Google me. I promise you, you, you will, you, you'll probably find more scholarship with Thomas R. Easley, maybe even then Rashad Ease. But I think it's because I've been publicly a scholar longer than I have been publicly a musician, but I've been a musician longer than I've been a scholar. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So check out all that stuff. I'll make sure to put, uh, I'll put the link to your, your music website in the show notes when the, when this po- uh, podcast goes, so if you're listening to this, um, just check those show, show notes and you can, you can find the link there. Um, and if you are listening, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, if you have an idea for an episode, either you want to share your own work or you would like for us to reach out and try to interview somebody else, you can get a hold of us uh, at asley.ecocast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, handle there is at asley underscore ecocast. Uh, you can find my personal Twitter handle at bgalm, B E G A L M. Gemma? Um, and I'm at GeoWrites, that's G-E-O-W-R-I-T-E-S. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Thomas, for joining us. Thank you. Brandon, and thanks, thank you, everyone, Jenna. for listening. Thank Bye. You. Bye.